Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Death of Death podcast, where we proclaim Christ's victory over sin, death, and everything else. I'm your host, as always, Nick Stewart. How's it, how's it going? Are you making it through? Are you okay? Are you, uh, I mean, you're probably alive if you're listening to this, but are you living? Are you living? I just want to check in on you guys. I care about you. Something about having a video podcast makes me feel more connected to you than I ever have been. So I just want to check in and make sure you guys are okay. Make sure you're, uh, something about this angle shows me how bad my posture is. So I always like sit up a little bit when I see that camera. All right. There's not a lot to get to before we start uh, the show today. So I'm just going to jump in. We are going to be talking about the deconstruction movement. Um, Not really sure what to call it. It kind of is a movement. There's just been like a lot of high-profile Christians that have uh, seemingly left the faith in recent years and, um, you know, have kind of deconstructed their beliefs where they've kind of, uh, you know, just kind of started over and, and just kind of started at, uh, you know, the baseline of what they believe and tried to build on uh, from there. And we're going to talk about kind of the methodological problems of that a little bit. Um, You know, I don't want to get too specific with certain people, but there are certain people where it helps to actually look at what they've said about their story to kind of piece together, you know, kind of uh, where, like, what thought process may have led to this sort of thing and um, you know, what, what state of their heart might have, what might have been, you know, present, uh, in such a change, uh, you know, based solely on their statements alone, you know, it's just interesting to look into, uh, what they, what they say for themselves. So I'm going to try to, you know, not be too specific, but there's a few people we're going to have to talk about because, you know, there's a giant elephant in the room, and uh, the weirdest thing that I could do is uh, pretend that it's not there. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just very popular. It's something that's been happening a lot. It just seems like two or three at least a year, you know, two or three high-profile p- people like Josh Harris or Dustin Kensrue or, you know, people like that just kind of come out and say, like, you know, either I'm not a Christian anymore or I'm having, you know, uh, I'm adding beliefs to my system that are very, very not Christian and, uh, or I'm giving up a lot of traditional Christian ideas. You know, it, it, it runs the gamut. It's, it's very different for each person. So it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't help to kind of say that this is how it is in every single case, but, uh, you know, it does help to look into a few certain people, um, to kind of examine, uh, you know, what, what might have been going on there, um, you know, and we can speculate a little bit. It's public stuff. It's public information, but uh, I don't want to pretend to speak for them or to, uh, you know, pretend that I know exactly what's going on in their head. I can only interpret what they've said, you know. So, I mean, I think the most obvious one is uh, Dustin Kensrue because he has... <sighs> seemingly kind of remained in Christian culture, um, despite having had this deconstruction, um, period in his life. And, you know, I haven't really checked in on his podcast in a while, so I don't really know where he stands today. It, it seems like that was kind of an ever evolving, uh, thing for him. 
So, you know, I can, I can talk about what I've heard him say, but, you know, uh, mostly I heard him talk about the kind of beginning of his deconstruction journey and not so much, you know, where he, where he lands today. But, um, you know, I think he's helpful because I, I paid closer attention to his story than like Josh Harris or Paul Maxwell or like any of these people. So, um, you know, just for, for the sake of analyzing the situation, I think it would help to, to go over, you know, some of the things that he said and kind of his story. And, and again, these are basically, he did two podcasts that were kind of the most groundbreaking, uh, when it came to this, um, event in his life, if you want to call it that. Um, he was on a podcast, a music podcast called lead singer syndrome. And, um, that was where he first, as far as I know, that was the first public, uh, declaration that he did not believe in the inerrancy of scripture any longer. Uh, if there was something out before then, then I'm not really aware of it. Um, but you know, that's, that's the thing that blew up in my circles, uh, with people I knew that's, that's what people started talking about. Um, and so, and then the other one, he was on the bad Christian podcast where he kind of gave like a more in-depth story of, of his whole, um, kind of experience and like starting to doubt things, starting to, you know, believe some non-traditional things and then just kind of jumping in headfirst into, you know, into, uh, deconstruction. So, um, the first one, he he mentioned something that was eerily similar to another uh, de like a deconversion story, not just a deconstruction story, um, which I think there's a difference. He mentioned being on tour and um, you know just meeting so many different people and being in so many different cultures and so many different belief systems. And, uh, you know, this kind of inability to accept that, like, these people were wrong or that they were going to hell or, like, whatever the thing is, you know, uh, he started to doubt whether he had everything figured out because people all over the world seemed perfectly fine and happy and good. Um, now, I, that's a massive paraphrase, so don't, you know, <laughs> that don't put quotes in that and put Dustin Kensrue's name at the end. Uh, but that was kind of the idea he was getting at. And Mike Herrera from MXPX, who is no longer a Christian, he is an agnostic uh, now by his own admission, um, said pretty much the exact same thing. You know, he he considered himself a Christian at one point, and then he went on tour a lot and met so many people, met so many great folks, and and um, he he couldn't really justify his beliefs anymore from that point on because it would mean that all of these people were wrong, all these people were going to hell, all these people were, you know, bad people. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the the basis of Christianity is that everyone's bad and everyone needs a savior. Um, so there's already kind of a confusion of uh, of Christian beliefs going, going into this kind of thing. Um, not to say that that was Dustin's position necessarily. But when he told his more in-depth story on the Bad Christian podcast, um, you know, he, he was talking about he started out struggling with the doctrine of hell. And um, that's, you know, that's one that I've wavered on quite a bit uh, between the traditional view and a more annihilationist kind of view. Um, 
and I'm no longer weary of saying that. Uh, there were many years where I was a pretty convinced annihilationist, and I did not want to say it publicly because uh, I was associated with a lot of organizations that were not going to be okay with that. Um, and so <laughs> the reason I'm more comfortable saying it now is because I'm not convinced one way or the other. Like, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic on <laughs> whether hell lasts forever or whether it's just a really long time. Like, y you know, to me, it's not a huge difference. So, um, you know, that's a conversation for another day. But, you know, he said that was one of his first, um, you know, kind of doubts, uh, his first questioning of the of Christian tradition and stuff. And so then he said that he got uh, the book, The Five Views on Biblical Inerrancy, and that uh, he was reading it on tour. And one of the views that was not the traditional, like, Chicago statement view, um, one of those views uh, made a lot of sense to him. And and the vibe of what I got from him was like, this is this was putting into words what I kind of believed, but I didn't know how to articulate it. You know, like it just made a lot more sense to me. And so from that point on, he didn't believe the Bible was inerrant anymore. And now he didn't get into specifics about what his view was, but I'm, I'm guessing, because he was still calling himself a Christian, uh, I'm guessing that his position was... Uh, the Bible is not inerrant in everything, but the main things, which is like the gospel and God, like those things we can trust. But as far as like what day Jesus was crucified on or how many times the rooster crowed, like, yeah, well, that doesn't matter. It's probably, you know, there's probably errors in some of those things. Well, my only problem with that, which again, kind of a separate conversation, but my problem with that is that I have no way of knowing whether, uh, you know, the Bible's portrayal of God or the, the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation that Christ accomplished. I have no idea if that's true, if I can't trust the smaller details as well. Like, if it's wrong about how many times the rooster crowed, could be wrong about the gospel. Like, how would you know? There would be no way of knowing. And that's why... Biblical inerrancy is really important, especially in the Reformed view, uh, because it, it, it is kind of the basis of everything. Like, without uh, a Bible you can trust 100%, you can't know any of this stuff, really. And, um, you know, I know some people who, who don't hold too strict biblical inerrancy, and they still believe all the same stuff that I do. I mean, they're, they're Trinitarians. They, they believe in uh, the gospel. They believe in the resurrection. They believe in all that stuff. So I know it doesn't always end up in a, you know, faithless position, or it doesn't always end up in an unbelieving position. I'm not trying to say <laughs> that you have to believe in the Chicago statement of the biblical inerrancy in order to be a Christian. I'm just saying it's, uh, it's, it's at the very top of a very slippery slope that, tends to go one way um you know sometimes it takes longer than than others but you know uh so so it's it's always kind of an illogical weird position for me to think that like the bible could be trustworthy on the more miraculous like outlandish things if you want to call it that like the resurrection but it couldn't really be trusted on like whether 
Jesus fed the 4,000 by multiplying the food, you know? So it's just, it's stuff like that. Um, so, you know, whatever his view was, if he still considered himself a Christian, which he claims to have, um, at that time, I don't know where he stands now, but at the time he, he was still considering himself a Christian. So I'm sure it was a view like that. Uh, it had to be a view kind of like that because, um, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be a Christian by any meaningful sense of the word if you just believe nothing in the Bible. You said the entire Bible is fiction and nonsense. Um, you know, I do know of some people who, who do that. Um, you know, Jack Grisham uh, from the punk band TSOL, you know, he's become like a, a big like motivational speaker and like a, a big guy in, in like, um, 12 step programs and, and stuff. And he's, he's become a pretty accomplished writer as well. Uh, I used to watch his video blogs, which, um, dates me quite a bit, but he would do these long rambling, like video journals on YouTube, like 11 or 10, you know, years ago. And, and he would say quite often, I consider myself a Christian, even though I don't believe Jesus ever existed as a person, um, he said, you know, I hold to the teachings of Christ. And by that he meant, you know, being good to your neighbor and not stealing the Ten Commandments and stuff like that. Uh, he meant that, but Jesus taught that he was God. So, you know, you definitely don't hold all of the teachings of Christ if, if you don't believe that the Bible's true. So, um, you know, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird position, but I, I get how people end up there. So it's not like you know, you're, you're damned for having questions or that, you know, you're damned for having a, a moment of weakness in your logic, whatever, you know. Um, but things seem to escalate from there. Um, you know, his, his tweets got a little weird, but, you know, it's, I can't really remember what he was saying. It just got kind of increasingly more unchristian <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. And, then, you know, I, I was listening to his podcast whenever there was someone who interested me, and I love Bad Religion, and Brett Gerwitz from Bad Religion was on his podcast, and uh, it was a really good episode, you know, um, especially if you like Bad Religion, but uh, toward the end of the podcast, they did talk about religion a little bit, they talked about Christianity a little bit, I don't remember if Dustin talked about, like, his you know, deconstruction at all, but, um, they, they broached the topic of, of Christianity and, uh, Dustin mentioned that the God of the old Testament was kind of an asshole and, um, all right. So, I mean, we're, we're getting pretty far away from anything that could like meaningfully be called Christianity at that point. You know, it's, it's, it's actually kind of a really weird claim, even though you, you hear it a lot from atheists and stuff because basically you're going to kind of fall into one of two camps. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're going to fall into one of two camps. You're going to say either all the stuff in the old Testament happened and I can explain God's holiness and his sovereignty and our sinfulness in a way that makes it okay. That's the position that I'm in. I I believe I would go the R.C. Sproul holiness of God route with that and explain, look, if you're having any problem with the way God treats people, you've got way too high a view of people and way too low a view of God. So that's, you know, more the reformed traditional kind of way of going about it. And then there's more the liberal way where we kind of interpret those things away. So, 
you know, yeah, God didn't really kill all those people because, you know, that uh, God wouldn't do that, you know. So based on our New Testament reading, we can kind of read back into it that that must have been figurative or it didn't really mean what we think it means or it's just an allegorical story didn't really happen, you know. Um, but the weirdest thing <laughs> is to say these things happened and God is an asshole for doing that. That's weird. Uh, that that doesn't resemble any kind of Christianity uh, that I know of, um, you know, so I'm not trying to make a claim on Dustin Kensrue's soul. It just seems to me by following the progression, seems like it kind of got increasingly more unchristian as he went along, but I'm not making any sort of a statement on where he's at now. For all I know, he's had some massive return to, you know, reformed theology and, and he's, you know, back to his old self. Um, but you know, so that's, that's kind of an interesting look at like where the doubts started, where the questions started and how they weren't really dealt with very well. You know, it didn't sound like he had a pastor in his life, uh, kind of guiding him through some of those questions, or if he did, he was not receptive to it. Um, you know, again, don't know much about that personal situation either. I know what church he was in when it happened. It's a little hard for me to believe he wasn't getting his questions answered based on what I know of that church. But, you know, again, that's, that's why you don't want to get too specific because I'm starting to kind of mouth off about things I don't necessarily know about, (laughs) but you know, the purpose of the show is to talk about deconstruction and to learn what we can about it and kind of analyze some of the stories we know to kind of try to piece together how some of this stuff happened. And, um, and I don't have any qualms about that. But I was a little apprehensive to get into certain people's stories because I knew, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to not speculate outside of what I know to, for sure to be true. So we're going to leave Dustin's story right there. And uh, I want to get into a little bit of how I think this happens. And so there's, there's basically two kinds of pressure, and I, I believe it is mainly pressure. Um, it's pressure mainly that, that leads you to start questioning or doubting things. And I think it's two specific kinds of pressure. I think it's social pressure and inner pressure. And by social pressure, I don't mean that like the football player wants you to smoke cigarettes and so you start smoking cigarettes. (laughs) I don't mean like peer pressure. I mean any sort of pressure that comes about because of your relationships with people. And so we see that kind of in the problems with hell. We don't want to believe that other people might burn in hell for eternity or be punished at all you know um you know even in annihilationism there's no uh you know clear-cut position on like whether hell you know is punishment or you do just cease to exist after you die like there's variation on that stuff too and so a lot of this comes from not liking the idea that your fellow image bearers of god are are gonna burn in any you know even if it's temporary Um, And that's totally understandable. I'd be a little weirded out if you never, you know, uh, if you never sweat over that, (laughs) if you never have a problem with that, if you never have questions about that, um, you know, you could be a psychopath, could be a psychopath. Um, (laughs) But, you know, hell's one. Gay marriage is a big one. Um, I think um, I think that pressure is more shifting into the more like woke critical race theory stuff now because that's just kind of where the culture the the cultural outrage is kind of going but you know a long time ago it was like well I don't want to tell my gay friend 
that, uh, you know, I don't believe that he should be getting married or that I think homosexuality is wrong. Like he loves his husband, you know, he lo- or his boyfriend, whatever. Like I'm kind of speaking from personal experience. Like I've had gay friends. I've, I've had gay friends whose boyfriends I've met and I've liked the boyfriends too and wanted to hang out with those guys, you know? So it's, it's hard for me as well. Uh, I'm not talking, you know, out, out of, um, my realm of experience here. Um, you know, and that's kind of a, another conversation for another time. We could talk about that, but, um, so that's, that's, that's another thing. Uh, you know, I, I start to, well, not me, but people might start to doubt the validity of the Bible because it says things about homosexuality that they can't really reconcile with the gay people that they know personally. And, you know, yeah, okay. There's a certain amount of sense to be made out of that. But uh, that doesn't mean that you get to just cast the Bible aside. Oh, hey, look, it's Sabbath. Uh, This is my cat, Sabbath. Black creature of the night. Say hi, Sabbath. All right, go play. Um, You know, you don't get to just cast the Bible aside and start from some other standard because that that wouldn't make sense. Only the Bible is 100% true standard. Um, so, you know, when you start, you know, if you make yourself your standard, your own reasoning, your standard or your own experience, your standard, then, you know, you're no different than the atheists and all the other religions. And, you know, I mean, so like what, what does set your reasoning apart from all the people who disagree with you? You know, a hundred percent true, trustworthy source right from the mouth of God outside of myself not subject to error. That's a pretty good standard (laughs) to have. Um, So, you know, I understand the questions. I understand the doubts. I get it. But the the reaction to that cannot be to reject the only good standard and go with something else because you don't like it. Um, uh, You know, and then another one, like like we saw from Mike Herrera, (sighs) Sabbath, really, dude. I'm trying to do a show here, Sabbath. You're being very unprofessional. Maybe I can just hold Sabby for a while. <laughs> this, this is weird for you to watch a man with a cat talk about hell <laughs> gay people. <laughs> um, but, you know, another thing was, um, you know, Mike Herrera and Dustin Kensrue both said something to the effect of, like, meeting so many different cultures that it became hard for them to accept that they were wrong or that they were, you know, misled or going to hell or whatever, you know. So that's the kind of social pressure I'm talking about when, when you know, I say that. I just mean any sort of pressure that's coming from people, your beliefs about people, your experience with people, your relationships with people, like any of that that's starting to influence your view, your worldview, and your view of the Bible, and your view of religion, Christianity, you know, all that. That's what I mean by social pressure. The other kind of pressure is inner pressure. And now this comes about in a whole myriad of ways, but I've thought of a a few key ones to look out for is uh, being a false convert, you know, and that's rough. And I don't really want to say that, but, you know, we could be talking some of these people. I'm not making a judgment here. I'm not making a a 100% clear statement um, you know, or judgment on where their eternal soul is going to end up. 
But, uh, you know, if we talk about Paul Maxwell, Josh Harris, Dustin Kinsrew, Rhett and Link, all these different people who have deconstructed or deconverted or like aren't Christians anymore, however they say it, all of these people are probably in much different headspaces. They, they have different reasons that they left the faith, seemingly, whatever. You know, we're, we'll talk about the doctrinal problems with that later, but um, some of them statistically have to be false converts. And, and I'm not saying who, because I don't know. I'm not saying Paul Maxwell's never been a Christian. I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. Spoiler alert. So I don't know what to think. But um, it, it's it's improbable that all of these people were true Christians and are just in a momentary lapse of judgment and God is preserving them through a time of ignorance. I hope that's true for all of them. I doubt it's true for most of them. So, you know, here we are. <laughs> that's That could be one of the ways that, um, you know, that this could have happened. You were never truly converted. And now, you know, you're trying to live like a Christian, which if you're not converted... Living like a Christian just means following certain rules and having, you know, a routine for your daily Bible reading and, like, knowing things about theology, just having head knowledge. And if you're just trying to live that way, even though you're not converted and you do not have the Spirit dwelling in you, uh, that's hard. And so, like, we see in the Paul Maxwell video, you know, again, not saying he was never a Christian, but I'm just... I'm just positing something <laughs> he said in his video. I mean, he was crying. He was crying in his video where he said he's not a Christian anymore. And he said he's so relieved. And one of the reasons that you could be super relieved after leaving Christianity is because you were never converted and you were just kind of putting on errors. You were just sort of, just sort of, you know, walking through the motions and not, really believing and that's got to be tough for a long time that's got to be really tough so it would make sense if someone was relieved after finally getting out of a situation where they were pretending to be someone who they're not um you know and then another one is a love for sin and this is typically where we see people not really falling away from the faith but god preserving them through a time of ignorance um loving sin so much that you cannot give it up and and it hardens your heart to the point where you start to kind of question the bible where it's like well i love drugs or porn or whatever it is so much that i'm just gonna kind of step away from the church and i'm just you know gonna gonna have my thing that i love you know whatever it is um you know maybe it's socialism just kidding. Uh, why do I say things like that? See, I'm, make, I'm making enemies. I'm making enemies when I say things like that. Um, but yeah, so this this love for sin, we know love for sin creates a hardness of the heart. Romans 1 says that. And so that hardness of the heart could lead you to cast off Christianity, leave the church, all that stuff. Typically, this this is more in line with someone who's being preserved and will come back to the fold. Although sometimes this is just an evidence of someone who never was saved, but dangerous to make a conclusion on it um, because the day is not over yet. They're not dead yet. So it's, it's hard to say what God's doing through this, but I, th I think Paul is pretty, you know, clear in how we treat 
Christians in our churches who are in that state. I think it's pretty clear to treat them as unbelievers and, you know, um, excommunicate them from the fellowship in certain cases. Um, you know, another podcast for another time. <laughs> I should start writing these down so I can actually do some of these podcasts that I say I'll do someday. Um, but yeah, so, so that, that's kind of it. Either just pretending to be a Christian when you're not or loving sin so much that your heart becomes hardened are two of the ways that this inner pressure kind of leads you to deconverting or deconstructing or trying to find another way of explaining the Bible, you know, sometimes leaving the faith altogether. Well, uh, like I said, you know, I think that starting with anything besides the Bible does not make sense. So to me, it just, it doesn't make sense to deconstruct all the way down to where you don't even have the Bible anymore and then just sort of start with your own reason. Um, you know, again, I would ask, what's the difference between you and the atheist? Um, you know, the atheist starts with his own reason. So, I mean, if he's coming to a different conclusion than you, then, you know, your your own reason is clearly not infallible. It's clearly, you know... Um, prone to error, <laughs> you know, so, you know, we don't know if these people will come back to the faith at some point, and I think that's kind of the, de the determining factor. I would say if, like, all the people we mentioned today, um, you know, for those who have, like, said that they've left Christianity, they're not Christians anymore, like Josh Harris and uh, Paul Maxwell, uh, specifically, if those guys live the rest of their lives and they die at a ripe old age and never repent and never come back to the fold, then I think we could say that they were never Christians. But if in five years they come back stronger than ever and they say, you know, I tried to give it up and I couldn't because God just had a hold of me and he brought me back into the fold, I think it's safe to say they were saved and God preserved them, you know? And so... You know, uh, I have kind of a deconstruction story a bit, but it took me in the very opposite direction that, that these other guys have gone. You know, I grew up in a Calvary chapel that was really legalistic and had pretty bad theology. And uh, when I discovered Calvinism, I realized, you know, I kind of had this feeling like I'd been lied to my whole life, you know? And I'm actually doing a little bit of writing about this. This should be out in a blog post pretty soon. Hopefully it's out before you even see this, but it might be out, you know, a little later. But, um, you know, a friend of mine introduced me to Calvinism, and, and I, you know, it just made so much sense to me that I jumped in headfirst and um, kind of started looking at my church like, you were holding out on me. Like, you didn't you know, you kept me from, from knowing these things and, you know, called it a cult and, and all this stuff. And, uh, now I see that this is the truth. Like this is the Bible, you know? So like, I kind of feel like you, you were lying to me and I kind of feel like you've been holding out on me. And so I did have this moment when I first became a Calvinist where I kind of had to drop everything I knew about Christianity and just start over. And, uh, but the, the difference was that I started with the Bible <laughs> instead of my entire foundation being what my church taught me, the Bible said, I went to the Bible itself and I went to good teachers like R.C. Sproul and that's where I built my foundation up from. And so I, you know, went more orthodox in my deconstruction <laughs> than, than some of these other people that we've talked about. And so I don't want to say that deconstruction is necessarily bad because sometimes it takes you in a better direction sometimes deconstructing the the building is a good thing as long as you reconstruct on the proper foundation 
we should not reject cage stagers, you know? It's what we call the angry new Calvinists who are, you know, they're brand new Calvinists, and so they're fighting about it with everyone. Like, we shouldn't reject those people because they've gone through a trauma. <laughs> you know, uh, Jim Jeffries, the stand-up comedian, talked about uh, when he first became an atheist, he refused to go to his uh, friend's wedding because he refused to step foot in a church. And he said, you know, when you first become an atheist, you do irrational things like that because you feel like you've been lied to your whole life. And, um, you know, and it just made me, it reminded me of, of you know, cage stage Calvinists. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, you feel kind of betrayed or, you know, you feel like you've got something that the whole world needs to know about. So you're going to be a little ridiculous about it at first. And so we need to not be casting these people off and like, you know, kicking them out of our Bible studies and stuff. That's just a side note, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of had a, I, I've had many deconstructions, you know, I've kind of, I've, you know, like the annihilationism thing, uh, not that I really want to bring that up again, but, um, you know, when I, I became a pretty convinced annihilationist and, uh, then I had to reckon with this logical problem of that. If, if I, if I was correct, you know, church history is not absent of annihilationists, you know, John Stott, F.F. Bruce, like there's some pretty good ones. But if I was correct, then the history of the church overwhelmingly, especially like Protestants, um, it, you know, indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that I am, uh, the majority of church history came to a different conclusion than I did. And that became a pretty big problem for me. And that that's where I kind of was led to just say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know, but I'll fall back on the London Baptist confession right here. You know, this, this is a tried and true, you know, uh, doctrinal system. I am a reformed Baptist. I, you know what, when I don't know, because my, my logic is leading me somewhere where I don't necessarily know if I'm right, this, this is a good thing to just, you know, so I, I go to the chapter about, um, what is it? It's the, the end of man and the state after death, I think it's called. Where's the contents? The state of man after death and the resurrection of the dead. It's uh, chapter 31, the London Baptist Confession. So when you don't know, you can fall back on that and say, you know what? I don't know, but a lot of great people in the faith with the same Holy Spirit that I have interpreted it this way. You know, so I am a little agnostic on the issue of hell. I I believe there is a punishment for sinners after death. I believe that punishment is eternal. The only thing I'm not sure about is whether the punishing is eternal. And that's that's all I can, you know, I know I don't want anyone to go to hell. <laughs> that, that's what I do know. I don't want anyone to cease to exist. I don't want anyone to burn for eternity. I don't want, you know, like... Uh, in Paul Washer's messed up uh, view of heaven, I don't want, you know, to be laughing at them in hell for all eternity and like joyously, you know, throwing gasoline on them, whatever, whatever uh, his weird thing was. <laughs> Probably shouldn't just bring that up without clear uh, citations, <laughs> make him sound like a psycho. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's, it's just like, you know, again, had a little deconstruction and it led me in an even more orthodox direction than I had previously been. So, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And that's why, um, you know, I, I'm not a fan of where some of these people have ended up doctrinally. 
especially if they're outright saying they're not Christians, but um, let's not give up on them. You know, let's not give up on Paul Maxwell and say, okay, he's not a Christian. Screw that guy. Let's be done with him. Let's not give up on Dustin Kensrue and say like, okay, he's a libtard now. Like, okay, he's, you know, he, he doesn't believe in inerrancy. He's a universalist. He's supporting Bernie Sanders. Like, all right, screw that guy. You know, that's not the way to go about it. Um, you know, especially if God is preserving them, like I said, through a time of ignorance and is going to bring them back to, you know, stronger than they were before, boy, will your face be red when, you know, you look back on the way that you acted toward them when God was doing something in them, you know? So don't give up. And, you know, I've had my moments of frustration with with some uh, high-profile Christians that I really liked that deconverted or deconstructed. Like, I've had my moments, but I've tried not to, you know, cast them aside like they're not people anymore, you know? So that's kind of where, uh, that's all I got for today, you know? So I guess uh, let me know if you have any deconstruction stories. Um, you've probably come out of a deconstruction if you listen to this podcast. I doubt you're, you know, uh, highly entrenched in liberal theology if you're listening to me. But, you know, if you have any experience with that, I want to hear it. You can email that to contact at deathofdeath.net. And, uh, you know, I'll interact with it on the show if it's um, something that helps uh, further this conversation along. So, yeah, that's all I got. Um, go to the store to buy some T-shirts and some stickers Sign up for the Patreon if you haven't yet. If you haven't subscribed to this YouTube channel, even if you're listening on the audio podcast, just go subscribe. It's going to help out the numbers. I'm trying to build up the YouTube channel. Um, you know, that's kind of where I want to, I want the show to find its home from now on um, for as long as I'm allowed to do it because uh, pretty much anyone with anything bad to say about the COVID cult is getting kicked off of there. So I probably won't last long, but you know what? Let's, let's give it the old college try and try to make it on there. Um, I think that's all I got. Uh, I created a Linktree uh, account for myself and for the death of death. So if you go to my Instagram, uh, Nick C. Stewart, at Nick C. Stewart, you know how it is. Uh, the link in my profile will now, instead of taking you to one link, will take you to a page with buttons for all of my stuff. So you can get to all the Death of Death stuff from there. There's podcast app buttons on there that you can click for your preferred podcast. And then I made one for Death of Death as well. So the Death of Death Instagram has all the Death of Death stuff, the store, the Patreon, the, all of it. So um, go check that out if you need links to anything. You can also get all that stuff on deathofdeath.net. There's buttons for everything that you need to do Death of Death related. And there's also a huge banner on the homepage for Trevor's GoFundMe. Now, guys, I am super, super happy with where we're at. I'm actually going to check it right now because there's been, you know, a couple thousand dollars coming in since the last time I mentioned it, I think. Let me see. I don't have any idea if this is all from <clears throat> from my listeners, but uh, we've had, yeah, we were around thirty thousand dollars last time I mentioned it on the show, and it's at, it's over thirty one thousand now. So like a good thousand or more has come in since uh, last week. So if that was you guys, 
seriously keep it up you know thank you so much i know you know trevor and cheryl thank you um yeah so it's just important just give a couple of bucks whatever you can doesn't matter three dollars is better than nothing um yeah so that's all i got uh, i've run out of things to say so you know instead of doing my my usual sign off how would you care for an awkward pause i'll just you know i'm just gonna put the microphone away and i'm just gonna stare deeply into your eyes Thank you